Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Well, praise the Lord. Here we are for another great Wednesday night, United. And uh, I believe that God has some good things to say to us uh, concerning uh, His Word. And we're going to continue tonight with this uh, series that we've been on entitled The Mature Believer. And uh, I've said this a couple different times during this teaching that uh, some years ago uh, I was in a uh, meeting with uh, Bob Yandy and Pastor Caldwell. And uh, uh, Pastor Bob made a statement. He said, the goal of the Christian life is maturity. And so that uh, really imprinted my spirit. That stayed with me all these years. That the goal, the end result of the Christian walk is maturity. And uh, here in Ephesians 4, we see some things that lead us to understand what this maturity in, in, entails. And uh, in Ephesians 4 and verse 11, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and some teachers. And then he uses this phrase, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come in the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But notice, speaking the truth in love, and here's a phrase, may grow up into him, in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So he uses these two different words. In uh, verse 12, he uses the phrase for the perfecting of the saints. That word perfecting, it means the equipping or the furnishing of the saints. So when a believer comes to the local church, they are equipped or they are furnished. And make no mistake, you can't get that outside the local church. All right? You can't be equipped or furnished for what you need to do for God uh, just doing your own thing. Just out doing what you think you need to be doing. If you're not vitally, and when I say vitally, remember the word vitally, that, that living connection, all right, to the body of Christ. <clears throat> I'm being equipped and furnished for what I need to do. And remember that that equipping and furnishing happens every time you come to church. It never ends. All right? It never ends. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about the, the benefits of the local church, but it's important to realize that, that that's where that perfecting and furnishing is, is found. You will not walk in the level of maturity that you could walk in Outside of a connection to the local church, it, it just won't happen. Uh, I've known people before 
that were out doing their own ministry and doing their own thing and, and would not stay connected to a local body, right? Just bouncing around to different churches because you're an itinerant minister or you have a ministry outside the church. You know, that, that, that ministry does not give you license to not be hooked up to the local church. Just because I have a ministry outside the church does not give me license to not be hooked up to the local church. You have to love the local church because that's where the equipping and the furnishing happens. I knew a minister one time that was a great evangelist that would travel and minister. I mean, they, they, he traveled a, a lot. And when he would come back into town, home, he would not go to a local church. Not consistently. And, and if you were to ask, who's your pastor, there, there would have been no response. And as I look back on that, I see areas of that person's life that could have been pruned, that could have been shaved off, had they been where they could have been. How much better of a ministry would he have had if he would have been in a place to be furnished, and here's the phrase, fully equipped for what God wanted them to do. Amen. So it's vital. And then he says, unto a perfect man. Well, perfecting, perfect, uh, you would think that they mean the same thing, uh, but the, the word perfect man, when it uses that word perfect, it means a fully grown man. Uh, a fully mature person, all right? In, in our natural lives, we have children in our homes, and our job for that first ever how long they're with us is to equip them and furnish them with the, the knowledge, the information, uh, the, the, the substance of what they're going to need. And when we have them leave our lives, leave our home, hopefully we're sending into the world a fully grown, mature person. That's the goal of the Christian life, is maturity. And so the reason for this equipping, this furnishing, this arriving at maturity is so that the believer is no longer a child that can be moved by winds of doctrine, that acts like a child, that, 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 that responds like a child. Verse 15, he says, speaking the truth in love. That word, that phrase is speaking the truth enfolded in love. So there are times I've got to speak the truth. There are times I've got to, got to say the truth. But notice what Paul says, you say it enfolded in love. Amen. So we get our first evidence here of what maturity looks like is the ability to walk in love, the ability to say things that must be said, but yet saying them in love. Amen. This is so important. So speaking the truth enfolded in love. You know, just because something's right and something's truth if it is said but not said enfolded in love, it can, it can, you can get the opposite response. 
Amen. That there, there are people that you can destroy with words of truth if they're not enfolded in love. And you'll hear people say sometimes, well, listen, I'm going to say it and I don't care who likes it or not. Listen, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that, that, that sweet words increase learning. Amen. I try not to be a hard person. I try to be direct, but not hard. Because I, I understand that everything that I say, it needs to be seasoned with love and seasoned with compassion and seasoned with mercy so that the hearer can hear it and the right effect can be presented. Amen. Now, in Galatians 5, we, now we spent some time in Galatians 5 last week, <clears throat> but we're going to go back over there because Paul starts here in Galatians 5 and verse 6. And notice he says, For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision or uncircumcision availeth anything, but faith which works by love. In Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. That word availeth, it means to have power or to exert, or to wield power. So to have power, exert power, or wield power. What Paul is saying is this. As believers, the fact that... Now he's writing to the Galatian church and, and understand the language that he's using. He's writing to people that, that the Judaizers have come back into this, this assembly and they're telling everybody in there that was primarily Gentiles... If you have not been circumcised, if you're not keeping the law, all right, basically they're saying you're not saved. And Paul comes and he says, now wait a minute. He says to these believers, he's saying as believers, the fact that you're circumcised or uncircumcised has no power for anything in your life. Right? There's no power in it. It, it doesn't affect your life whatsoever. All right, He's saying that as believers, the thing that has power to affect change and transformation in our life is this. Faith that finds its expression through love. Not, not keeping the law, not keeping feast days, not keeping Sabbath days. All right, He says it's faith that finds its expression through love. The Weiss Bible says... But faith coming to effective expression through love. The Amplified Bible says, But only faith activated and energized and expressed and working through love. So notice the Amplified Bible says your faith is activated, energized, and expressed and works through love. Then the NIV says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's all that counts. Now, very often, this is viewed in this manner. Well, I need to walk in love or my faith for a certain thing won't work or my faith won't work for what I need. 
That's applicable, but in its perfect context, Paul's speaking of our Christian walk. He's speaking of our faith as Christians. And he says our Christian life will never reach effective expression without love. I will never be the effective Christian I could be without love. It's important. Amen. Our Christian life only finds effective expression through love. I will become effective as a believer as I express my faith through love. We've all heard stories of mean Christians, biting Christians, uh, hard to deal with Christians. Now, they're Christians. They're born again, but they're not expressing their faith through love. Right? They might be speaking truth, but they're not enfolding it in love. And because they're not enfolding it in love, what they know and what they believe is ineffective because it's not expressed through love. It's not energized through love. Do do, do you see this? Hallelujah. Uh, Verse 13. It says, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only... Use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. But by love, you've been called to liberty, only use not liberty as an occasion for the flesh, but by love serve one another. That that word occasion is from a Greek word that's a military term that speaks of a base of operations, a base of of operations. So in this passage, it means this the cause, the occasion, or the pretext of a thing. The cause, the occasion, or the pretext of a thing. So Paul's encouraging these believers and all believers that read this, he's encouraging us not to make their freedom from the law a base of operations from which to serve sin. Their liberty was not to be used as a jumping off place with the intention of sinning. Hallelujah. The defense against them using their liberty as a pretext for sin is found in this phrase. But by love, serve one another. Don't use your freedom as a base of operations for wrong living, but use your freedom as an opportunity to serve one another. Glory to God. The word for love here is agape, which refers, of course, to the God kind of love. Divine love produced by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5. It's, it, 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 it tells us that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts By the Holy Ghost, the love of God. The essence of this love is, notice, self-sacrifice for the benefit 
of the one that's love. That's why we talked last week about how in, in the book of Ephesians, it talks to believers and it tells us uh, uh, to be tenderhearted, uh, uh, to, to, to forgive one another, be tenderhearted, forgiving, loving one another, even as, actually it says forgiving, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you in Ephesians 4.32. And then in Ephesians 5.1 and 2, it says, therefore be imitators, all right? The, the King James says followers of God as dear children and walk in love. Do you see this? So he says, if I'm going to imitate God, if I'm going to mimic God, if I'm going to follow God, I do that by walking in love toward each other. And Paul says here that this love, the essence of it, is sacrifice for the benefit of the one that is love. This love means, listen, death to self and defeat to sin. There, there are believers that want to overcome things in their life. I can tell you how to do it. Start walking and living a life of love. Because living in love, walking in love, means death to self. We talked about that last week. That when you walk in love, you crucify the flesh. You kill the works of the flesh when you walk in love. Because every one of those works of the flesh listed here in Galatians 5 is anti-love. Every one of them. And when you walk in love, you put those things to death. You kill them. You stop them from operating in your life. So that means death to self. Amen. And defeat for sin. It's so important. Because the essence of sin is self-will. The essence of sin is self-gratification. Do what I want. Do what pleases me. The essence of love is doing what benefits the other person and how can I help them? Ephesians 5, we read it last week. It says, husbands love your wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. See, see where that starts? It starts at the head of the home. The husband loving the wife as Christ loved the church, and then he says how he loved them, and gave himself for it. So when you've got a situation where someone is loving like Christ in the home, and they're giving themselves for the other person, think of all that entails. There are things that that person won't be doing. There are things that person won't be saying. There are things that person won't be involved in. What will happen? There will be a maturity. A sign of maturity, a sign of love, even in a little child, is their ability to share, their ability to be selfless. If, if they have four orange slices, a, a sign of love in that little child is they give two of them to their friend. They're not selfish. It's not all my oranges, my candy, my this. And, and a good parent will say, no, now don't do that. We want to share. We don't want to be selfish. We want to be selfless, not selfish. Selfish. 
Amen. That, that's maturity. But I've counseled people for, for their marriages and other things that their, their problem was immaturity. They weren't walking in love. As a husband or a wife, the last thing you can ever be in a marriage is selfish and expect it to function properly. It won't. Amen. There are things that I do because I like to do them, but they never, they never, they never run the show. They are all subject to change if my family needs me to do something different. Because my job is to give to them. That's maturity. Amen. Hallelujah. Love never asks the question, what's in it for me? That's not a question love asks. Amen. Love, love never makes the statement, yeah, but they haven't done anything for me lately. That's a worldly song, not a scripture. The world says, what have you done for me lately? What's the context there? I need your help. Well, what have you done for me lately? Love never says that. The, the Bible talks about love in 1 Corinthians 13, and it talks about it being long-suffering, and it carries the idea, when Paul was writing that, of a candle with an extremely long burning wick that just burnt and burnt and burnt and burnt and burnt. That's love. Amen. Love gives and 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 gives. And gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. Why? Because God gave and gave and gave and gave and gave and gave. And I'm to imitate God and give and give and give and give and give. Romans 5.5 says that love has been poured into your heart and the Weiss translation says and it still floods them which means I have an access to that type of God's love every day of every, every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year till Jesus returns. I have access to that love and I can walk in love every day, every night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of every week. I can give that love and share that love and express my faith through that love every day. Because it's constantly there. Now what people will do is they'll bring this statement up. Well, you know, does God just expect us to be walked on? Listen, that's an immature statement. Because you're still thinking about you. What's going to happen to me if I walk in love? Well, let me ask you a question. What's going to happen to that person if you don't walk in love? What's going to happen to your relationship if you don't walk in love? What, what are your children going to grow up doing if you don't walk in love? Amen. How's it going to affect you on your job if you don't walk in love? Are promotions going to come your way? Are victories going to come your way? Probably not. Because love opens the door. Amen. 
Yeah, but you don't know who I work with. That's irrelevant. There's not a statement in the Bible that says walk in love unless you work with these certain people. Amen. That, that's a good place to turn to your neighbor and say, we are growing. We're growing. Do, do, do you understand this? And so he said, you, you love as Christ loved the church and gave himself for them. What kind of marriages would we have if each party in that marriage got up every day determined to give themselves for the other person? Amen. I trust and I believe that, that, that we, and, and amen, I, I believe we would have great marriages. Now, everybody's in, in the process of this. We're all working on it. I don't care how long you've been saved or how long you've been married. There's still an element of giving yourself in this marriage. And you're still always learning to do that. Oh, hallelujah. And I'm not talking about home and family living, but it's, a, it's, it's appropriate and it's applicable. Because when I've counseled marriages before, and, I, and I've, I don't necessarily like to call them counseling, I like to call them spiritual guidance sessions. But nonetheless, the, the problem that I run into and have run into a lot is this element of immaturity because one or the other party is refusing to give themselves. And sometimes both of them. Whenever you hear things like, well, he does this, and then you hear, yeah, but here's why. Because she, okay, see, nobody's giving. If you know something irritates your spouse, why would you do it? Yeah, but it's, it's not a big deal. It just bothers her. Well, if it's not a big deal, can't you live without it? Mm. Hallelujah. Let, let me use a real simple example. <clears throat> my, my wife is not a, a, a cluttery person. I think that's a word, cluttery, right? She, she doesn't have a lot of clutter, all right? Well, I, I'm, I'm, I can be this way sometimes. I've been married to her long enough that I'm not this way all the time now. But I can be this way sometimes. If I'm in a hurry, I might come home and, and you know, uh, Liliana's wanting to go somewhere or go out back or whatever. And I'll run in our room. In, in our house, all of my clothes and all of my stuff is in my office. It's in my study. I have a big walk-in closet. All of my clothes are there. And so Pastor Michelle has this huge closet in our bedroom. So I've got to go change down the hall. All right. And what that means is my dresser and whatnot is in our bedroom. So I've got to come get the clothes I'm changing into and go down the hall and change. Because I've got to hang my office clothes up in the closet. So here's my point. So sometimes it's just easier for me to change clothes and just lay my clothes on the bed. And I'm going to come back and take them back down there later. But here's the thing that keeps coming into my mind. I know she doesn't like that. No, she would not get mad. My, my, my wife's a very mature woman. She would not get mad and, 
And she wouldn't even say anything to me. But I know. Are you with me? I know it bothers her. Now, if I do something that I know that bothers her, am I giving myself for her? No. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I know that there are people that can be unreasonable. And, the, and there are things that are just unreasonable. And, and you can't meet unreasonable demands. But my point that I'm trying to get across to you is, is the giving of yourself. The giving of yourself. That comes from maturity. If I love my spouse, I give myself for her. Because there are a lot of people, I, I, I run into marriages, there are a lot of marriages that want submission. And, and remember what party I'm talking about. The husband wants submission, but he doesn't want to give. Submission, giving, they go together. You give, they submit. The Bible says we're supposed to submit to one another. Oh, glory. Amen. And, and remember this, this is so important. If you're not passing the love test at home, it doesn't do you any good to come to church and try to act mature because you're not. You're not. And it doesn't matter if you preach, pray, prophesy, speak in tongues, that doesn't matter. If you're not passing the love test at home, and if you're not walking in love towards your family, you are an immature believer. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter how God uses you or what God can say through you. Amen. Well, Pastor, that's a little hard. No, it's not hard. It's direct. But it's, it's enfolded in love. I love you. Amen. You, you, you've got to understand that. I say you've got to understand that. When, when I was a child growing up, one of the things that, uh, that could have affected my walk with God, I, I, it did not, but it could have, was you would see hypocrisy in the ministry. Now, not necessarily from my parents, but from ministers that we knew. And they, they acted one way outside the church and another way in church. And you would hear ministers say things. They would, they would tell people what they ought to do for their, for their wives and on their anniversaries and, and different things like that. And they would say, you know, uh, you need to buy your wife a new dress every month. And you're sitting there and you've got inside knowledge that they hadn't bought their wife a new dress in who knows when. Amen. So you had an immature person teaching people and you can only give people what you are. You can only impart into people what you are. And if you're, if you're ministering from an immature standpoint, you'll have immature people. Because you can't teach them to be something you're not. Oh, hallelujah. Do you see that? And so, let, let me say one other thing about the, the family life. And so, you know, I, I'm a runner. You all know that. And, and, and I, I, I go to the gym to build strength, and I, and I like to run. And I, and I do that in the mornings. I do that very early in the mornings. Now, there's a reason why. Because uh, 
Pastor Michelle is at home and, and in the mornings she cooks. She makes breakfast. She gets Liliana ready for school. And that affords me time to go to the, the gym or go on a run or whatever I'm doing that first hour, hour and a half in the morning. And then I come home and I get cleaned up. I take Lily to school. We have a schedule. I pick Lily up. Now, now follow me here. So she works later in the afternoon, which means I'm home, so I, I do most of the cooking in the afternoon and the evening. And I pick Lily up. Now, I'm using that as an example for a reason. See, we're giving of ourselves for each other. She gives me time to do what I need to do in the mornings. I give her time to do what she needs to do in the afternoons. And then in the evening, two people that are giving of themselves to each other come home and it's heaven on earth. Because we've spent all day giving ourselves for each other. Hallelujah. And that produces maturity. Oh, glory. So he says, verse 13, but by love serve one another. But the word serve is from a Greek word that means to render service to. To do that which is to the... Now, this is so powerful to me. To do that which is to the advantage of someone else. To do that which is to the advantage of someone else. Serving them. Doing something that's to their advantage. We've been rescued from the bondage that legalism imposed. And, and, and we've been brought into a life of servanthood to God, yes, and to each other. Don't, don't ever misunderstand that. People will say, well, I serve God. Right, I serve God and you. You serve God and me. where our position is sons and daughters that serve. And we serve God and we serve each other. When, when the fallen nature tries to get us to use our freedom as a pretext to sin, this is the secret of victory over the fallen nature whose power over us was broken when we were saved. What's the secret? By love, serve one another. What if you had a church full of people that made the decision to serve one another consistently with their lives? How would they live their life outside the church? How would they live their life in day-to-day -day interactions? If I love you, I'm going to live different. I'm going to do different. I'm going to conduct myself differently. I, I quoted a man last week. He said, he said it is, uh, it's, a sh it's a shame that's brought on the body when the believer doesn't walk in love. Amen. People in faith builders' churches should be known as people of faith, but boy, we should be known as people of love. Those are the nicest people. Those are the most sincere people. Those are the most compassionate people. Those people love God and love people. 
Amen. Why? Because, because the Bible talks about over and over to let our moderation be known to all men. Our moderation. Let, let, let our, our sweet sensibleness be known to everybody. We should be sweet. Amen. That's a good place to look at your neighbor and say, boy, you're a sweetie. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We, we should be sweet to each other. Uh, Galatians 6 and verse 1. He says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual. Now notice. Now, now don't lose this. You that are spiritual. He just outlined the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Then he says, brethren, if a man's overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, you that have these fruit of the Spirit. Spiritual people are marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, faith, fruits of the Spirit. And he says, those of you that have these fruit, though you spiritual people, when you see a brother that's overtaken in a fault, restore that one in the spirit of meekness, Considering yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so, notice this phrase, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Overtaken. Well, let me say this first. He says, if you see someone overtaken in a fault, that you seek for a way to restore them. Not expose them. Restore them. Amen. You know, people very often use the phrase, or excuse me, use the account in uh, 1 Corinthians when Paul talked about the man that was cohabitating with his mother, his stepmother, in an adulterous relationship, where Paul said, you need to put him out of the church. Well, he did say that, and that is right. That you, you don't want to change. You can't, you, you, you can't keep working in the church and doing things living like that. All right? But then in 2 Corinthians, he comes back in his second letter, and he says, uh, you know, I've forgiven him, talking about this man, and he's changed his ways, so, so you ought to bring him back and restore him. So you can, you can use that as an example of what you ought to do with somebody that's sinning, but the example's not complete till you try to restore them. There's restoration. Amen. When, when you discipline a, a, a natural child, whether it's, whether it's you spank them or ground them or take something from them, all right, yeah, you're, you're trying to get them to see that what they did was wrong and right, 
and, and to inflict some discomfort there so they won't want to do it again. But then the next few minutes after you discipline them, you spank them, you ground them, you whatever you did, right? You go in and you restore them. Amen. Now look, this is why, this is why dad had to do this. This is why mom had to do this. But I want you to know that I love you. And, and the reason that I was willing to correct you is I love you with all of my heart. Amen. And from this day forward, son, daughter, this will never be mentioned again. It's forgotten. All right? It's forgotten. What, what have you done? You've restored them. Amen. Do, do you see that? And, and, and that's, that's why it's important that, that, that you don't always go around uh, telling people, you know, what your child did wrong or, or what some, right? Because, because you have restored them. That is, that is forgotten. And you need to represent God to them. And you need to represent the love of God to them. Everybody knows you don't have perfect children. Amen. Everybody knows that. And you want to know why they know it? Because they don't have perfect children. But he says, let's restore them. Restore them. Now, the word overtaken means a fall, a false step, a slip, a blunder, a failure to achieve, a, a slip, a false step, a blunder, a failure to, to achieve. It, it can mean a slip or a lapse rather than a willful, willful sin. A slip or a lapse rather than a willful sin. All right? So he's talking about somebody that two things, that got up in the morning with no intention to go sin. But somewhere during the day, they tripped, they slipped, they made a mistake. They didn't get up that morning intending to go do that. Oh, thank you, Jesus. It's describing, secondly, a Christian that wants to do right, yet he does wrong. And here's why. Because he's not availing himself of the God-ordained method of living the Christian life. Remember back in Galatians 5, 6? For in Christ Jesus, circumcision availeth nothing or uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. He's not availing himself of that method of living the Christian life. That method of fully expressing his faith through love. Those who are spiritual would refer to those that are walking in the Spirit. Therefore, they're walking in love. Paul says, notice that they are to restore this brother. Restore him. That might in include and in, in involve forgiveness. Forgiving them. One of the primary evidences of maturity 
is not just walking in love and forgiving, but a willingness to walk in love and a willingness to forgive. And, and, I, and I've told you before that when I, I've grown to this point at least that when somebody comes to me and they say, Pastor, I need you to forgive me, the first thing I say is, okay, done. And then they'll go in to explain what they did. Well, that's fine. You can explain it, but it's done. doesn't matter. Amen. Because I want my first response to be one of love. I don't want to hear the story and then decide if I want to forgive you. <laughs> Amen. No, it's done. Why? Because uh, Ephesians 4, again, tells us, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. Now, what are we saying here? Forgive, no strings attached. Amen. Yeah, but what if they try to walk on me or hurt me again? Okay, now listen. Now you're talking about barriers. There are barriers you have to put up sometimes around yourself that defend you from people that you have forgiven. But you've still forgiven them, no strings attached. That, that, that doesn't mean that you keep contributing to a behavior or that you just do whatever they want you to do. Amen. But if you get focused on they might hurt me again if I forgive, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. If you don't forgive, you're going to be hurting yourself. Amen. Do you see that? That's like shooting yourself in the foot every day. Not a good thing. So you forgive with no strings attached, but then there's parameters, there's barriers. Okay, they're not doing this no more. Hallelujah. I, I, can I share an example with you? Pastors have stories. They're in our tool belt. I knew a dear person one time, dear person. And, and this individual was, was older and they were just working themselves to, uh, well, the only thing, I, to pieces. They, they, they were working, 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 working. And they had an adult child in the house that's fully capable of working and wouldn't. And this person was just wearing themselves out. And they got in the prayer line one night for something. I'll never forget this. And the Holy Spirit spoke through me to them and said, and said, some, I don't remember the exact thing, but the exact phrase, but it was something along these lines. That you, they needed to put that, that adult child out if they weren't willing to work and contribute to that home. Amen. And, and the response you would always get is, yeah, but, but you know, it's, it's so hard, and, and they're my child, and they're this. But they were taking, they were, not, they were not willing to contribute. They were taking, I'm not talking about 
a child that needs help. You understand? I've had adult children live with me that need help, and they would work, and they would do what they needed to do, or they would try, or, or go to school. If you've got an adult child living with you that's going to college, and they make going to college their job, and, and, and they work on the weekends, or whatever they do, my, my point that I'm trying to make is this person's lazy, they won't work, they won't contribute, and this, this elderly parent is killing themselves trying to take care of this child. Now, what needs to happen there? Parameters. If you're going to keep living here, you're going to get a job. Right? You're going to work. And there's not going to be any strife. Uh, Oh, by the way, no drinking, no drugs, no garbage on TV. Right? Because this, this is still my home. And, and you're an adult, and you get to live here. You don't have to live here. You get to. Now, that's, that's good preaching. Amen? Now, now, understand what I'm saying. So you can forgive that child for something they did wrong, but then there's parameters. Okay, I forgive you, but you got to get a job. I forgive you, but you got to help out. I forgive you, but, right? It doesn't change my stand of love. And I'm still trying to restore them. So that's the difference. People will say, well, if I forgive them, they'll just walk on me again. See, and so what they do is then they don't forgive and they hurt themselves. They don't get the power they need to deal with the situation. When you forgive, you open up the floodgates of love which opens up the floodgates of God's power, which opens up the floodgates of God's wisdom, and you'll know what to do because you're walking in love. Amen. So he says, notice he says that we seek to restore them. But now notice this person, they had a slip, a blunder. They tripped. This sin overtook them. They didn't get up that morning meaning to go do that. The word restore means to repair. Uh, To restore to a former good condition. I like this because it's used of setting bones, of putting a dislocated limb back in place. Well, you know, I've had broken bones. And, and here's one thing that I remember about them is uh, they hurt when it occurred and it hurt when they set them. Right? But, but you know, the doctor, even though he knew, my, I think my first broken arm was I was nine, I think, eight or nine. And uh, the doctor knew when he started pulling that arm and pushing it, it was going to hurt. But what would have been worse? To leave the limb and let it heal wrong. Now you're affecting my mobility. Now you're affecting my future. And what I remember even about that even stronger is my dad was there beside me holding my shoulder, loving me, while the doctor was setting my arm 
and it hurt so amazingly bad, right? And, and there was nothing my dad could do to help me with the pain other than just be there because he knew the pain was for a greater purpose. Amen. When somebody has a misstep or a slip or a fall or a mistake or a blunder, he says, if you're spiritual, if you're walking in the Spirit, you will restore them. All right, you want to bring them back to, to you want to repair them, restore them to a good condition. But it may mean you got to set them right. Now watch, this goes all the way back to the first scripture. Speaking the truth in love. It may be a bit painful. But what are you doing? You're, you're, you're taking that part of the body and setting it back in place. Right? For future endeavors, for future ministry, for future whatever. All right? If, if I snap that bone back in place, I know it hurt. I know it's not comfortable, brother, but I'm doing this because I love you and I want to see you grow and I want to restore you because you, just, you made a mistake, you had a failure, you slipped up, but I'm spiritual and spiritual people don't expose and abandon. Spiritual people love and restore. It's what we do. Amen. So Paul said that spiritual people will help a fallen brother bring things back into line and repair the damage that was done as a result of his fall. Repair and restore. Repair and restore. And people say, well, what do you do with somebody that just won't change? Well, listen, listen. My job is not to focus on that. My job is to forgive and to help when I can help. And there will be times that you'll run into people that just don't want to change. And those are the people that Paul said, I've quit trying to work with them because they don't want to change. Now, the phrase that he uses, I've turned them over. I'm not telling you to go tell somebody you've turned them over to Satan. <laughs> but what, what I'm saying is you run into people that it's just evidence they don't want to change. And until they want to change, all of your restorative efforts will be in vain. But that's the goal. That's the goal. Somebody that wants to be restored. Brother, let me help you repair the damage. That was done when you fell. Help, help me repair. Let me help you be repaired and restored. Let me help you bring things back into line. Not letting them get under guilt and condemnation and shame because they had a slip up. Because there's nobody in this service tonight that can raise your hand and say you've never slipped up or you've never made a mistake or you've never failed or, or that you've never got up one morning and felt real spiritual and prayed 
prayed in tongues and read the Word and confessed your Scriptures, and, and, and maybe you got to work and somebody did something to you that was just wrong or, or aggravated you, and you got mad, you yelled at them, you might have even cussed. You didn't get up that morning and say, I'm going to go, to, I'm gonna go to, to work and cuss Billy Bob out. Amen. Do you understand? It was a slip up. It wasn't something you meant to do. Now, don't use that as an excuse. Well, pastor said it was a slip up. I didn't mean to do it. Well, no, that's not an excuse. It's saying in, in reality, when this happens, you didn't mean to do that. Well, the Bible says if a fellow believer finds out about that, you know, it's not expose him as the, the angry cusser. It's repair him and restore him. And, and it might be along these lines. Look, brother, you know, hey, you did not get up today intending to go do that. God knows that and you know that. Now, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess where you missed it, that he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In other words, he'll take all the sense of shame and guilt away from you, right? He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So, brother, did you confess your sin? Yes, Yes, uh, brother, pastor, I did. I confessed that I was wrong. Okay, then it's done. God has forgotten it. Amen. And brother, I love you and I've forgotten it in the name of Jesus. That's it. Oh, hallelujah. I saw evidence of this once. Uh, I was uh, meeting with my pastor one, one time. And uh, during the course of, of the conversation, uh, there was a statement made from our, our side, my wife and I's side, that was kind of a misstatement. And, and what I mean by that is, is, is it, it, uh, it didn't come out like we meant it. And uh, 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 it wasn't derogatory or anything of that nature. But when we got back to the office, we got to thinking about that and just thought, you know, I shouldn't have said it just that way. And so my wife and I were talking about it and she uh, sent our pastor an email and, and explained that we shouldn't have said it that way. And the email we got back was, look, Philip and Michelle, all is forgiven. I know your heart and I know, I know your love. That was it. Well, we were restored. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't even a sin. It wasn't sinful. It, it just could have been construed wrong. But a spiritual person restores. Amen. The Amplified Bible, Paul says, do this in a spirit of meekness. Do it in a spirit of meekness. The Amplified Bible says, without a sense of superiority and with all gentleness, keeping an attentive eye on yourself, lest you should be tempted also. Oh, that's important. So I'm not superior to the brother that I'm restoring because he made a mistake. I'm doing this gently. I'm doing this gently. Keeping an attentive eye on myself. Why? Uh, because I've made mistakes. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't that good? And Paul said when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. This is my last scripture, John 15, 12. Remember what Jesus said? He said, this is my commandment, that you love one another. 
Now, let's look at that very quickly. John 15. I believe I'm helping you. John 15 and verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, Ephesians 5 says how He loved us, gave Himself for us. And notice what Jesus says. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. And this is my commandment, that you love one another. It can seem so simple, but it's so profound. That the command that Jesus gave was love each other. Love each other. That's how we become mature people. That's how we become mature believers. That, that's, that's how you combat those things that trip up immature people, is by walking in love. Amen. And, and when I first started this series, I purposely did not start with 1 Corinthians 13 because understand, no, notice the title of the message, The Mature Believer. Our focus is maturity. And we will deal with in this series more than just walking in love. But yet, everything is tied to walking in love. And walking in love is the foundation stone. Every part of the building that you're sitting in is connected to the foundation. The roof can blow off of a building and you can repair the roof if the foundation stayed good. But if the foundation is affected, you've either got to tear the building down, start from the bottom, or repair the foundation. So let's lay the foundation of love and then build up into maturity. Amen? Hallelujah.